Bismillahirrahmanirrahim In the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful Answers to non-Muslims common questions about Islam By Dr. Zakir Naik Page 68 13. Equality of Witnesses Question why are two witnesses who are women equivalent to only one witness who is a man? Answer. It is not true that two female witnesses are always considered as equal to only one male witness. It is true only in certain cases. There are about five verses in the Quran that mention witnesses without specifying male or female. There is only one verse in the Quran that says two female witnesses are equal are equal to one male witness. This verse is Surah Al-Baqarah chapter 2 verse 282. This is the longest verse in the Quran and deals with financial transactions. This is the longest verse in the Quran and deals with financial transactions. It says, O you who believe, when ye deal with each other in transactions involving future obligation in a fixed period of time, reduce them to writing and get two witnesses out of your own men. And if there are not two men, then a man and two women, such as ye choose for witnesses, so that if one of them errs, the other can remind her. Chapter 2, verse 282. This verse of the Quran deals only with financial transactions. In such cases, it is advised to make an agreement in writing between the parties and take two witnesses, preferably both of which, preferably both of which should be men only. In case you cannot find two men, then one man and two women would suffice. For instance, purpose Sorry, for instance, suppose a person wants to undergo an operation for a particular ailment. To confirm the treatment, he would prefer taking references from two qualified surgeons. In case he is unable to find two surgeons, his second option would be one surgeon and two general practitioners who are plain MBBS doctors. Similarly, in financial transactions, similarly in financial transactions, two men are preferred. Islam expects men to be the breadwinners of their families. Since financial responsibility is shouldered by men, they are expected to be well-versed in financial transactions as compared to women. As a second option, the witness can be one man and two women, so that if one of the women errs, the other can remind her. The Arabic word used in the Quran is uh, tuzil, which means uh, confused or to err. Sorry, the Arabic word used in the Quran is tazil, which means confused or to err. Uh, Many have wrongly translated this word as to forget. To zil, maybe to err, is better uh, translation here. Thus, financial transactions constitute the only case in which two female witnesses are equal to one male witness. However, some scholars are of the opinion that the feminine attitude can also have an effect on the witness in a murder case. In such, in such circumstances as uh, in such circumstances a woman is more terrified as compared to a man. Due to her emotional condition she can get confused. Therefore according to some jurists even in cases of murder two female witnesses are equivalent to one male witness. In all other cases one female witness is equivalent to one male witness. There are about five verses in the Quran which speak about witnesses about specifying man or woman. While making 
a will of inheritance, two just persons are required as witnesses. In Surah Al-Ma'idah, chapter 5, verse 106, the glorious Quran says, O you who believe, when death approaches any of you, take witnesses among yourself when making bequest to <coughs> two just uh, persons of your own brotherhood or other from outside if you are journeying through the earth, if you are journeying through the earth and the chance of death befalls you. Quran chapter 5 verse 106. Two persons endued with justice in case of talaq and take for witness two persons from among you endued with justice and establish the evidence as before Allah. Uh, Quran 65 verse 2 Four witnesses are required in case of charge against chaste woman Al-Quran 24 uh, verse 4 There are some scholars who are of the opinion that the rule of two female witnesses equal to one male witness should be applied to all the cases This cannot be agreed upon because one particular verse of the Quran from Surah An-Nur chapter 24 verse 6 clearly equates one female witness and one male witness. And for those who launch a charge against their spouses and have in support no evidence but their own, their solitary evidence can be received. 24 verse 6 Aisha may Allah be pleased with her uh, hadith narrated of one witness Many jurists agree that even one witness of a woman is sufficient for the sighting of the crescent of the moon. Imagine one woman witness is sufficient for one of the pillars of Islam, i.e. fasting, and the whole Muslim community of men and women agree and accept her witness. Some jurists say that one witness is required at the beginning of Ramadan and two witnesses at the end of Ramadan. It makes no difference whether the witnesses are men or women. Some, in the, uh, some incidents... Uh, some incidents require only female witness, and that of a male cannot be accepted. For instance, in dealing with the problems of women, while giving the burial bath, while giving the burial bath, i.e., ghusl to a woman, the witness has to be a woman. The seeming inequality of male and female witnesses in financial transactions is not due to any inequality of the sexes in Islam. It is only due to the different natures and roles of men and women in society as envisaged by Islam. 14. Inheritance Question. Under Islamic law, why is a woman's share of the inherited wealth only have that of a man? Answer. The glorious Quran contains a specific and detailed guidance regarding regarding the division of the inherited wealth among the rightful beneficiaries. The Quranic verses that contain guidance regarding inheritance are Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 180, uh, verse 240, verse, uh, sorry, Surah An-Nisa, uh, which is chapter 4, verse 7 to 9, uh, also verse 19, uh, verse 33, Surah Al-Ma'idah, chapter 5, verses 106 to 108. There are three verses of the Quran that broadly describe the share of close relatives, i.e. Surah An-Nisa, chapter 4, verses 11, 12, and 176. The translation of these verses are as follows. Allah thus directs you as regards your children's inheritance to the male, a portion equal to that of two females if only daughters two or more their share is two-thirds of the inheritance if only one her share is a half for parents a sixth share of the inheritance to each if the deceased left children if no children and the parents are the only heirs the mother has a third if the deceased lived brothers or sisters, the mother has a sixth. The distribution in all cases is after the payment of legacies and debts. You know not whether your parents or your children are nearest to you in benefit. These are settled portions ordained by Allah, and Allah is all-knowing, all-wise. In what your wives leave, your share is half. If they leave no child, 
But if they leave a child, you you get you get a fourth after payment of legacies and debts. In what you leave, their share is a fourth. If you leave ch- no child, if you leave no child, but if you leave a child, they get an eighth after payment of legacies and debts. If the man or woman whose inheritance is in question has left neither ascendants nor descendants, but has left a brother or a sister, each one of the two gets a sixth, but if more than two, they share in a third, after payment of legacies and debts, so that no loss is caused to anyone. Thus, it is ordained by Allah, and Allah is all-knowing, most forbearing. Al-Quran, chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. They ask thee for a legal decision, say, Allah directs thus about those who, have, who leave no descendants or ascendants as heirs. If it is a man that dies, leaving a sister but no child, she shall have half the inheritance. If such a deceased was a woman who left no child, her brother takes her inheritance. If there are two sisters, they shall have two-thirds of the inheritance between them. If there are brothers and sisters, they share the, they share the male having twice the share of the female. Thus doth Allah makes clear to you his law. Al-Quran chapter 4 verse 176 In most of the cases a woman inherits half of what her male counterpart inherits. However, this is not always the case. In case the deceased has left no ascendant or descendant, but has left the uterine brother and sister, and has left the uterine brother and sister, each of the two inherit one-sixth. If the deceased has left children, both the parents, that is mother and father, get an equal share and inherit one-sixth each. In certain cases, a woman can also inherit a share that is double that of the, fi- of the male. In certain cases, a woman can also inherit a share that is double that of the male. If the deceased is a woman who has left no children, brothers or sisters, and is survived only by her husband, mother and father, the husband inherits half the property, while the mother inherits one-third, and the father the remaining one-sixth. In this particular case, the mother inherits a share that is double that of the father. It is true that, as a general rule, in most cases, the female inherits a share that is half that of the male. For instance, in the following cases, one daughter inherits half of what the son inherits, two wife inherits one-eighth, and husband one-fourth, if the deceased has no children, three Wife inherits one-fourth and the husband half if the, or, uh, half if the deceased has uh, children. Four, if the deceased has no ascendant or descendant, the sister inherits a share that is half that of the brother. In Islam, a woman has no financial obligation and the economical responsibility lies on the shoulders of the man. Before a woman is married, it is the duty of the father or brother to look after the lodging, boarding, clothing, and other financial requirements of the woman. After she is married, it is the duty of the husband or the son. After she is married, it is the duty of the husband or the son. Islam holds a man financially responsible for fulfilling the needs of his family. In order to be able to fulfill the responsibility, the men get double the share of the inheritance. For example, if a man dies leaving about uh, RS 150,000 rupees, 150,000 rupees for the children, i.e. one son and one daughter, the son inherits 100,000 rupees and the daughter only 50,000 rupees. Out of the 100,000 which the son inherits, as is a duty towards his family, he may have to spend on them almost the entire amount, or say about 80,000, and thus he has a small percentage of inheritance, say about 
20,000 left for himself. On the other hand, the daughter who inherits 50,000 is not bound to spend a single penny on anybody. She can keep the entire amount for herself. Would you prefer inheriting 100,000 rupees and spending 80,000 from it or inheriting 50,000 rupees and having the entire amount to yourself? <clears throat> 16. Hereafter, life after death. Question. How can you prove the existence of the hereafter, i.e. life after death? Answer. 1. Belief in the hereafter is not based on blind faith. Many people wonder as to how a person with a scientific and logical temperament can lend any credence to the belief of life after death. People assume that anyone believing in the hereafter is doing so on the basis of blind faith. My belief in the hereafter is based on a logical argument. Two, hereafter is a logical belief. There are more than a thousand verses in the glorious Quran. There are more than a thousand verses in the glorious Quran containing scientific facts refer to my book Quran and modern science, compatible or incompatible. Many facts mentioned in the Quran have been discovered in the last few centuries, but science has not advanced to a level where it can confirm every statement of the Quran. Suppose 80% of all that is mentioned in the Quran has been proved 100% correct. About the remaining 80%, sorry, about the remaining 20%, science makes no categorical statement since it has not advanced to a level where it can either prove or disapprove these statements. With the limited knowledge that we have, we cannot say for sure whether even a single percentage or a single verse of the Quran from this 20% portion is wrong. Thus, when 80% of the Quran is 100% correct and the remaining 20% is not disapproved, logic says that even the 20% portion is correct. The existence of the hereafter, which is mentioned in the Quran, falls in the 20% ambiguous portion, which my logic says is correct. 3. Concept of peace and human values is useless without the concept of hereafter. Is robbing a good or an evil act? A normal balanced person would say it is evil. How would a person who does not believe in the hereafter convince a powerful and influential criminal that robbing is evil? Suppose I am the most powerful and influential criminal in the world. At the same time, I am an intelligent and a logical person. I say that robbing is good because it helps me lead a luxurious life. Thus, robbing is good for me. If anybody can put forward a single logical argument as to why it is evil for me, I will stop immediately. People usually put forward the following arguments. A. The person who is robbed will face difficulties. Some may say that the person who is robbed will face difficulties. Will face difficulties. Some may say that the person who is robbed will face difficulties. I certainly agree that it is bad for the person who is robbed, but it is good for me. If I rob a thousand dollars, I can enjoy a good meal at a five-star restaurant. B. Someone may rob you. Some people argue that somebody, some people argue that someday I may be robbed. Some one may rob you. This is B. Some people argue that someday I may be robbed. No one can rob me because I am a very powerful criminal and I have hundreds of bodyguards. I can rob anybody, but nobody can rob me. Robbing may be a risky profession for a common man, but not for an influential person like me. See, the police may arrest you. Some may say if you rob, you can be arrested by the police. The police cannot arrest me because I have the police on my payroll. I have the ministers on my payroll. I agree that if a common man robs, he will be arrested and it will be bad for him. But I am an extraordinarily influential and powerful criminal. Give me one logical reason why it is bad for me and I will stop robbing. D. It's easy money. 
Some may say it is easy money and not hard-earned money. I agree completely that it is easy money and that uh, that is one of the main reasons why I rob. If a person has the option of earning money, the easy as well as the hard way, any logical person would choose the easy way. <coughs> e. It is against humanity. Some may say it is against humanity and that a person should care for other human beings. I counter-argue by asking as to who wrote this law called humanity and why should I follow it. This law may be good for the emotional and sentimental people, but I am a logical person and I see no benefit in caring for other human beings. If it is a selfish act, some may say that robbing is being selfish. It is true that robbing is a selfish act, but then why should I not be selfish? It helps me enjoy life. 4. No logical reason, no logical reasoning or reason for robbing being an evil act. Hence, all arguments that attempt to prove that robbing is an evil act are futile. These arguments may satisfy a common man, but not a, a powerful and influential criminal like me. None of the arguments can be defended on the strength of reason and logic. It is no surprise that there are so many criminals in this world. Similarly, raping, cheating, etc. can be justified as good for a person like me, and there is no logical argument that can convince me that these things are bad. 5. A Muslim can convince a powerful and influential criminal. Now let us switch sides. Suppose you are the most powerful and influential criminal in the world who has the police and the, crim and the ministers on his payroll. You have army of thugs to protect you. I am a Muslim who will convince you that robbing, raping, cheating, etc. are evil acts. Even if I put forth the same arguments to prove that robbing is evil, the criminal will respond the same way as he did earlier. I agree that the criminal is being logical and all his arguments are true only when he is the most powerful and influential criminal. 6. Every human being wants justice. Each and every human being desires justice. Even if he does not want justice for others, he wants justice for himself. Some people are intoxicated by power and influence and inflict pain and suffering on others. The same people, however, would surely object if some, uh, of, if, if some injustice was done to them. The reason such people become insensitive to the suffering of others is that they worship power and influence. Power and influence they feel not only allow them to inflict injustice on others, but also prevent others from doing likewise to them. 7. God is most powerful and just. As a Muslim, I would convince the criminal about the existence of Almighty God, referred to answer proving the existence of God. This God is more powerful than you, and at the same time is also just. The glorious Quran says Allah is never unjust in the least degree. Quran chapter 4 verse 40. 8. Why doesn't God punish me? The criminal, being a logical and scientific person, agrees that God exists after being presented with scientific facts from the Quran. He may argue as to why God, if he is powerful and just, does not punish him. 9. The people who do injustice should be punished. Every person who has suffered injustice, irrespective of financial or social status, almost certainly wants the perpetrator of injustice to be punished. Every normal person would like the robber or the rapist to be taught a lesson. Though a large number of criminals are punished, many even go scot-free. Many even go scot-free. They lead a pleasant, luxurious life and even enjoy the pe a peaceful existence. If injustice is done to a powerful and influential person by someone more powerful and more influential than him, even such a person would want that perpetrator of injustice to be punished. Ten. This life is a test for the hereafter. This life is a test for the hereafter. The glorious Quran says, He who created death and life, that he may try which of you is best indeed, and he is the exalted in might, oft forgiving. Quran chapter 67 verse 2. 11. Final justice on the day of judgment. The glorious Quran says, Every soul shall have a taste of death, and 
Only on the day of judgment shall you be paid your full recompense. Only he who is saved far from the fire and admitted to the garden will have attained the object of life. For the life of this world is but goods and chattels of deception. Chapter 3 verse 185 Final justice will be meted out on the day of judgment. After a person dies, he will be resurrected on the day of judgment along with the rest of humankind. It is possible that a person receives part of his punishment in this world. The final reward and punishment will only be in the hereafter. God Almighty may not punish a robber or a rapist in this world, but he will surely be held accountable on the day of judgment and will be punished in the hereafter, i.e. life after death. 12. What punishment can the human law give Hitler? Hitler incinerated uh, 6 million Jews during his reign of terror. Even if the police had arrested him, what punishment can the human law give Hitler for justice to prevail? The most they can do is to send Hitler to the gas chamber. But that will only be punishment for the killing of one Jew. What about the remaining 5,999,999 Jews? 13. Allah can burn Hitler more than 6 million times in the hereafter, in the hellfire. Allah says in the glorious Quran, Those who reject our signs, we shall soon cast into the fire, cast into the fire, as often as their skins are roasted through, as often as their skins are roasted through, we shall, we shall, we shall change them for fresh skins, that they may taste the penalty. For Allah is exalted in power wise. Chapter 4, verse 56. If Allah wishes, he can incinerate Hitler six million times in the hereafter in the hellfire. 14. No concept of a human values or good and bad without concept of hereafter. No concept of a human values or good and bad without concept of hereafter. It is clear that without convincing a person about the hereafter, i.e. life after death, the concept of a human values and the good or evil nature of acts is impossible to prove to any person who is doing injustice, especially when he is influential and powerful. 17. <coughs> Question number 17. Why are Muslims divided into sects? Question, when all the Muslims follow one and the same Qur'an, then why are there so many sects among Muslims? Answer, one, Muslims should be united. It is a fact that Muslims today are divided amongst themselves. The, tra the tragedy is that such divisions are not endorsed by Islam at all. Islam believes in fostering unity amongst its followers. The glorious Qur'an says, and hold fast altogether, and hold fast altogether by the rope, which Allah stretches out for you, and be not divided among yourselves. Chapter 3, verse 103. Which is the rope of Allah that is being referred to in this verse? It is the glorious Qur'an. The glorious Qur'an is the rope of Allah which all Muslims should hold fast together. There is double emphasis in this verse. Besides saying hold fast altogether, it also says be not divided. The Qur'an further says obey Allah and obey the messenger. All the Muslims should follow the Quran and authentic hadith or authentic ahadith and not be divided among themselves. Two, it is prohibited to make sects and divisions in Islam. The glorious Quran says, as for those who divide the religion and break up into sects, thou hast no part in them. In the least, their affair is with Allah. He will in the end tell them the truth of all that they did. Quran Chapter 6, verse 159. In this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that one should disassociate oneself from those who divide their religion and break it up into sects. But when one asks a Muslim, Who are you? The common answer is either I am a Sunni or I am a Shia. Some call themselves Hanafi or Shafi'i or Maliki or Hanbali. Some say I am uh, Dubandi, while some others say I am uh, a bear levy, a per levy. <coughs> Three, our Prophet was a Muslim. One may ask such Muslims, what was our beloved Prophet, peace be upon him? Was he a Hanafi or a Shafi or a Hanbali or a Maliki? 
No, he was a Muslim, like all the other prophets and messengers of Allah before him. It is mentioned in chapter 3 verse 52 of Al-Quran that Jesus, peace be upon him, was a Muslim. Further, in chapter 3 verse 67, Al-Quran says that Ibrahim, peace be upon him, was not a Jew or a Christian, but was a Muslim. For Quran says, call yourselves Muslim. A. If anyone poses a Muslim, the question, who are you? He should say, I am a Muslim, not a Hanafi or a Shafi. Surah Fusulat, chapter 41, verse 33 says, Who is better in speech than one who calls men to Allah, works righteousness, and says, I am of those who bow in Islam. I am a Muslim. Al-Quran 41, verse 33. The Quran says, say, I am of those who bow in Islam. In other words, say, I am a Muslim. B. The Prophet, peace be upon him, dictated letters to non-Muslim kings and rulers, inviting them to accept Islam. In these letters, he mentioned the verse of the Quran from Surah Ali Imran, chapter 3, verse 64. Say ye, bear witness that we at least are Muslims bowing to Allah's will. Bear witness that we at least are Muslims bowing to Allah's will. Al-Quran chapter 3 verse 64. 5. Respect all the great scholars of Islam. We must respect all the great scholars of Islam including the four Imams, Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Shafi, Imam uh, Hanbali and Imam Malik. May Allah have mercy on all of them. They were great scholars and may Allah reward them for their research and hard work. One can have no objection of someone agrees with the views and research of Imam Abu Hanifa or Imam Shafi, etc. But when posed a question, who are you? The reply should only be, I am a Muslim. Six, some may argue by quoting the hadith of our beloved Prophet, peace be upon him, from Sunan Abu Dawood, volume 5, hadith 4596. In this hadith, the Prophet, peace be upon him, is reported to have said, my community will be split up into 73 sects. My community will be split into 73 sects. This hadith reports that the Prophet, peace be upon him, predicted the emergence of 73 sects. He did not say that Muslims should be active in dividing themselves into sects. The glorious Quran commands us not to create sects. Those who follow the teachings of the Quran and Sahih Hadith and do not create sects are the people who are on the true path. According to Tirmidhi, volume 5, hadith 2641, Abdullah ibn Umar, Abdullah ibn Amr narrated that the messenger of Allah peace be upon him said My ummah will be split into 73 sects All of them are in the fire except one sect He said And which is And which is it O messenger of Allah He said or he asked this question And which is it O messenger of Allah He said what I am upon and my companions what I am upon and my companions. The glorious Quran mentions in several verses, obey Allah and obey the messenger, obey Allah and obey his messenger. A true Muslim should only follow the glorious Quran and the Sahih Hadith. He can agree with the views of any scholar as long as they conform to the teachings of the Quran and Sahih Hadith. If such views go against the word of Allah or the Sunnah of his Prophet, peace be upon him, then they carry no weight regardless of how learned the scholar might be. If only all Muslims read the Quran, with understanding and adhere to Sahih Hadith, inshallah most of these differences would be solved and we could be one united Muslim Ummah. Question 18. All religions teach men to be righteous. Then why follow only Islam? Question. All religions basically teach followers to do good deeds. Why should a person only follow Islam? Can he not follow any of the religions? Answer. 1. Major difference between Islam and most other religions. All religions basically exhort humankind to be righteous and eschew evil or issue evil. All religions basically exhort humankind to be righteous and issue or eschew evil. But Islam goes beyond that. It guides us towards practical ways of achieving righteousness and eliminating evil from our individual and collective lives. Islam takes into account human nature and the complexities of human society. Islam is guidance from the Creator Himself. Therefore, Islam is also called the Deen Al-Fitrah, the natural religion of man. Two example, Islam commands us to shun robbery and also 
prescribes method of eliminating robbery. A. Islam prescribes method of eliminating robbery. All major religions teach that theft is an evil act. Islam teaches the same. So what is the difference between Islam and the other religions? The difference lies in the fact that Islam, besides teaching that robbing is evil, shows a practical way of creating a social structure in which people will not rob. B. Islam prescribes zakat. Islam prescribes a system of zakat obligatory annual charity. Islamic law prescribes that every person who has a saving that exceeds the nisab level, i.e. more than 85 grams of gold, should give 2.5% of that saving every lunar year in charity. If every rich person in the world gives zakat sincerely, poverty will be eradicated from this world. Not a single human being would die of hunger. C. Chopping off the hand as punishment for robbery. Islam prescribes chopping off the hand of the convicted robber. The glorious Quran says in Surah Al-Ma'idah, As to the thief, male or female, cut off his or her hands, a punishment by way of example from Allah for their crime, and Allah is exalted in power, full of wisdom. Quran chapter 5 verse 38. The non-Muslim may say chopping off the hand in this 20th century Islam, chopping off the hand in this 20th century Islam is a barbaric and ruthless religion. The results achieved when Islamic Sharia is implemented. Results achieved when Islamic Sharia is implemented. America is supposed to be one of the most advanced countries in the world. Unfortunately, it also has one of the highest rates of crimes uh, of crime theft and robbery. Suppose the Islamic Sharia is implemented in America, i.e. every rich person gives zakat 2.5% of his savings in charity above 85 grams of gold every lunar year, and every convicted robber has his or her hand chopped off as a punishment. Will the rate of theft and robbery in America increase, remain same or decrease? Naturally, it will decrease. Moreover, the existence of such a stringent law would discourage many a potential, many a potential robber. I agree that the amount of theft that takes place in the world today is so tremendous that if you chop off the hand of all the thieves, there will be tens of thousands of people whose hands will be chopped off. The point here is that the moment you implement this law, the rate of theft will decline immediately the potential robber would give it a serious thought before jeopardizing his or her limbs. The mere thought of the punishment itself will discourage majority of the robbers. There will barely be a few who would rob. Hence, only a few persons' hand would be chopped off, but millions would live peacefully without fear of being robbed. Islamic Sharia is therefore practical and achieves results. 3. Example Islam prohibits the molestation and rape of women. It enjoins hijab and prescribes capital punishment for a convicted rapist. A. Islam prescribes method of eliminating molestation, molestation and rape. All the major religions <coughs> declare the molestation and rape of women as grave sins. Islam teaches the same. What then is the difference between Islam and the other religions? The difference lies in the fact that Islam does not merely preach respect for women, or abhor molestation and rape as serious crimes, but also gives clear guidance as to how society can eliminate such crimes. Be hijab for men. Islam has a system of hijab. The glorious Quran first mentions hijab for the men and then for the woman. Hijab for the men is mentioned in the following verse. Say to the believing men that they should lower their gaze and guard their modesty. That will make for greater purity for them. And Allah is well acquainted with all that they do. Quran chapter 24 verse 30. The moment a man looks at a woman and if any brazen or unashamed thought comes to his mind, he should lower his gaze. See, hijab for woman. Hijab for woman is mentioned in the following verse. And say to the believing woman that they should lower their gaze and guard their modesty, that they should not display their beauty and ornaments except what must ordinarily appear thereof, that they should draw their veils over their bosoms, and not display their beauty except to their husbands, their fathers, their husbands' fathers, their sons. Al-Quran, chapter 24, verse 31. The extent of hijab for a woman is that her complete body should be covered. The only part that can be seen are the face and the hands up 
up, up to up to the rest. If they wish to cover, they can even cover these parts of the body. However, some Islamic scholars insist that even the face should be covered. B. Hijab prevents molestation. The reason why Allah has prescribed hijab for the woman is given in the Quran in the following verse of Surah Al-Ahzab. O Prophet, tell thy wives and daughters, O Prophet, tell thy wives and daughters and the believing woman that they should cast their outer garments, they should cast their outer garments over their persons when abroad. That is most convenient that they should be known as such and not molested. And Allah is oft forgiving, most merciful. Al-Quran chapter 33 verse 59. The Quran says that hijab has been prescribed for the woman so that they are recognized as modest women. And this would prevent them from being molested. A example of twin sisters. Suppose two sisters who are twins and who are equally beautiful walk down a street. One of them is wearing the Islamic hijab, i.e. the complete body is covered except for the face and the hands up to the rest. And the other twin is wearing miniskirt or shorts. Around the corner there is a hooligan who is waiting for an opportunity to tease a girl. Whom will you, whom will he tease? Whom will he tease? The girl wearing the Islamic hijab or the girl wearing the miniskirt or shorts. Dresses that expose more than they conceal are an indirect temptation to the opposite sex for teasing, molestation and rape. The Quran rightly says that the hijab prevents women from being molested. If capital punishment for rapists. The Islamic Sharia prescribes capital punishment for a convicted rapist. The non-Muslim may be horrified at such a stringent punishment in this age. Many accuse Islam of being ruthless and barbaric. I have asked a common question to hundreds of non-Muslim men. Suppose, God forbid, someone rapes your wife, your mother or your sister and you are made the judge. The rapist is brought in front of you. What punishment would you give him? All of them said we would put him to death. Someone to the extent of saying we would torture him to death. To death. If your wife or your mother is raped, you want the rapist to be put to death. But if someone else's wife or mother is raped, capital punishment is a barbaric law. Why the double standards? Gee, USA has one of the highest rates of rape. The United States of America is supposed to be one of the most advanced countries of the world. An FBI report in the year 1990 says that uh, 1,200,500 uh, cases of rape were reported. Uh, 1 million, that 1,200,255 cases of rape were reported. It further says that only 16 of the cases of rape are reported. It further says that only 16% of the cases of rape are reported. Thus, in order to know the actual number of rape that took place in 1990, the reported figure should be multiplied by 6.25. We get a total. We get a total of 6,040,968 rape cases that took place in the year 1990. 1990. If the total is divided by 365, the number of days in a year, we get an average of 1,000, 1,756 rape incidents every day. Later, another report said that an average of 1,900 cases of rape are committed in USA every day. According to National Crime Victimization Survey, Bureau of Justice Statistics, U.S. Department of Justice, in 1996 alone, 3,007,000 cases of rape were reported. Only 31% of the actual cases of rape were reported. Thus, uh, 3,007,000 multiplied by 3.226 equals 9,000,000. 90,322 rapes took place in 1996. That is an average of 2,713 cases of rape took place every day in America in 1996. Every 30 seconds, one rape is taking place in America. Maybe American rapists got bolder. The FBI report of 1990 continues and says that out of the rape cases that were reported, only 10% of the rapists were arrested. That is only 1.6% of the actual rapes committed.
That is only 1.6% of the actual rapes committed. Out of those arrested, 50% were let free before the trial. This would mean that only 0.8% of the rapists faced a trial. In other words, if a person commits 125 rapes, the chances that he will get the punishment for rape is only once. Many would consider this a good gamble. And the report says that of those people who faced trial, 50% received sentences of less than a year's imprisonment, though the American law says rape carries a seven-year sentence of imprisonment. For a rapist, the judge is lenient to first-time offenders. Imagine a person commits 125 rapes and the chances of being convicted is only once. And 50% of the time, the judge will grant leniency and give a sentence of less than a year. H. Results achieved when Islamic Sharia is implemented. Suppose Islamic Sharia is implemented in America whenever a man looks at a woman and if any brazen or unashamed thought comes to his mind, he lowers his gaze. Everyone wears the Islamic hijab, that is the complete body is covered except the face and the hands up to the wrist. After this, if any man commits rape, he gets capital punishment. The question is, will the rate of rape in America increase? Will it remain the same or will it decrease? Naturally, it will decrease. Islamic Sharia gets results. For Islam has practical solutions for the problems of humankind. Islam is the best way of life because its teachings are not uh, doctrinaire rhetoric, are not doctrinaire rhetoric, but practical solutions for the problems of humankind. Islam achieves results both at the individual and collective levels. Islam is the best way of life because it is a practical and universal religion not confined to any ethnic group or nationality due to its divine nature. 19. Vast difference between Islam and the actual practice of Muslims. Question. If Islam is the best religion, why are many of the Muslims dishonest, unreliable, and involved in activities such as cheating, bribing, dealing in drugs, etc.? Answer. 1. Media maligns Islam. A. Islam is without doubt the best religion, but the media is in the hands of the Westerners who are afraid of Islam. The media is continuously broadcasting and printing information against Islam. They either provide misinformation about Islam, misquote Islam, or project a point out of proportion, if any. B. When any bomb blast takes place anywhere, the first people to be accused without proof are invariably the Muslims. This appears as headlines in the news. Later, when they find that non-Muslims were responsible, it appears as an insignificant view, news item. See, if a 50-year-old Muslim marries a 15-year-old girl after taking her permission, it appears on the front page. But when a 50-year-old non-Muslim rapes a 6-year-old girl, it may appear in the news in the inside pages as news briefs. Every day in America on an average 2,713 cases of rape take place, but it doesn't appear in the news since it has become a way of life for the Americans. 2. Uh, black sheep in every community. I'm aware that there are some Muslims who are dishonest, unreliable, who cheat, etc., but the media projects this as though only Muslims are involved in such activities. There are black sheep in every community. I know Muslims who are alcoholics and who can drink most of the non-Muslims under the table. I know Muslims who are alcoholics and who can drink most of the non-Muslims under the table. Three Muslims best as a whole. In spite of all the black sheep in the Muslim community, Muslims taken on the whole, yet form the best community in the world. We're the biggest community of, of tea, uh, of tea totalers as a whole, of tea toller, I don't know what this is. We are the biggest community of tea totalers as a whole, i.e. those who do not imbibe alcohol. Collectively, we are collectively we are a community which gives the maximum charity in the world. There is not a single person in the world who can even show a candle to the Muslims where modesty is concerned, where sobriety is concerned, where human values and ethics are concerned. For don't judge a car by its driver. If you want to 
judge how good is the latest model of the Mercedes car and a person who does not know how to drive sits at the steering wheel and bangs up the car, who will you blame, the car or the driver? But naturally the driver. To analyze how good the car is, a person should not look at the driver but see the ability and features of the car. How fast is it? What is its average fuel consumption? What are the safety measures, etc.? Even if I agree for the sake of argument that the Muslims are bad, we can't judge Islam by its followers. If you want to judge how good Islam is, then judge it judge it according to its authentic sources, i.e. the glorious Quran and the Sahih Hadith. 5. Judge Islam by its best follower, or by its best follower, i.e. Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. If you practically want to check how good a car is, put an expert driver behind the steering wheel. Similarly, the best and the most exemplary follower of Islam by whom you can check how good Islam is, is the best and the last final messenger of God, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Besides Muslims, there are several honest and unbiased non-Muslim historians who have acclaimed that Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was the best human being. According to Michael H. Hart, who wrote the book, The hundred most influential men in history, the topmost position, i.e. the number one position, goes to the beloved prophet of Islam, Muhammad, peace be upon him. There are several such examples of non-Muslims saying great tributes to the prophet, peace be upon him, like Thomas Carlyle, uh, Lamartini, etc. 20. Non-Muslims referred as kafirs. Question. Why do Muslims abuse or abuse non-Muslims by calling them kafir? Answer. 1. Kafir means one who rejects. Kafir is derived from the word kufr, which means to conceal or to reject. In Islamic terminology, kafir means one who conceals or rejects the truth of Islam, and a person who rejects Islam is in English called non-Muslim. 2. If non-Muslims are hurt, they should accept Islam. If any non-Muslim considers the word kafir, i.e. non-Muslim, as an abuse, he may choose to accept Islam, and then, be, and then we will stop referring to him as or call him a kafir, i.e. a non-Muslim. Alhamdulillah. The end of the book. The author, Dr. Zakir Naik, is a well-known international orator and a scholar of comparative religion. He is the president of the Mumbai-based Islamic Research Foundation. He may be reached at zakir, z-a-k-i-r, at i-r-f, Dr. Zakir Naik had delivered the lecture Terrorism and Jihad An Islamic Perspective on October 4, 2002 at the Kamaraj Memorial Hall, Chennai, India Alhamdulillah, may Allah bless this author